Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Did you know that research suggests up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut? The people at Young Health do, which is why they've developed ProbeImmune, a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. ProbeImmune is easy to use, easy to travel with, and does not require refrigeration. Right now, our listeners get 50% off their first order of ProbeImmune. That's a $34.95 bottle of ProbeImmune for just $17.48 plus shipping and handling. Just go to www.probeimmune.com, P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com and use promo code SMART at checkout to get 50% off today podcast where we talk to smart people but not necessarily done by smart people that is an awesome question this one goes down probably on one of my top five hey i like nutrition i like to eat food this is the coolest thing ever we're gonna do this forever i wish i paid more attention in that class you know i'm gonna be honest i don't understand that as a man i just i don't get it welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris Stemp here, as always. One of the things I love doing on this show is opening up topics that really aren't covered everywhere else. And today, I feel like we're doing just that. It was really a pleasure to talk to our guest this week, Dr. Jessica Tracy. And we are talking about a very unique topic, which is also the topic of her brand new book, And it is pride. Pride, yes, one of the seven deadly sins. But what Dr. Tracy opens up for us is pride is actually extremely useful. Pride has shaped our minds and our culture. And if harnessed properly, can really be used to accomplish many of our goals. You know, especially in today's environment where we have have CEOs making ridiculous amounts of money and we have politicians making some various insane claims and and boasting and doing all types of stuff, pride is at the forefront of what we see. And pride, the the deadly sin portion, is really this hubris, this just unshakable faith in oneself that is actually not really warranted, granted, or real. 
And that's where the bad part is. But what about the good part? Well, as Dr. Tracy explains to us, pride can be authentic. And authentic pride makes us strive for excellence. In the right doses, in the right context, it's been proven to boost creativity, motivate altruism, and confer power and prestige on those who display it. So how do we find the good side of pride? How do we use it to forward our agenda in an authentic, beneficial way? And that's what we're going to be covering. As I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Jessica Tracy, who is a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. She also directs the Emotion and Self Lab at that school. She received her PhD from the University of UC Davis in 2005, and her research focuses on emotions and emotion expression, in particular, the emotions that are most intricately intertwined with our sense of self. Her newest book just came out. It is called Take Pride, Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. So get ready for this. It's a great one. I'm convinced you'll learn something new today and expand that brain. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at SmartPeoplePod. Love hearing from you. Tell a friend. That really helps. And also today, make your good deed of the day. Head on over to iTunes. Takes two minutes and leave us a review on iTunes. Hopefully it's five stars. Hopefully you love what you hear. All right. Thanks so much. Going to turn it over to this interview with Dr. Jessica Tracy as we talk about how to take pride. Enjoy. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. I, you know, we didn't have too much uh, pre-interview talk because honestly, I'm excited to just get into it. So thanks for being on. <laughs> thanks for having me. And we're going to be talking about, you have a, a brand new book out actually uh, called Take Pride, Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. And by the way, I've interviewed over 250 authors. I've looked at probably a thousand books and I know a good title when I see one. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great title. So congratulations oh, on that. Well, thank you. It's good to hear. Um, so we're going to be talking about pride and getting into all that. But first, Let's hear a little bit more about you because you have a great background. We're going to be learning about psychology, which I know the listeners enjoy. So tell us, tell us about uh, who you are, where you came from. Sure. Um, so I'm a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia, which is in Vancouver, uh, BC, in Canada. Um, and I am a social personality psychologist, which means basically I study, I would like to say, the most interesting parts of psychology, which really is sort of why people do the things they do every day why we are the way we are in our relationships, in our social behaviors, and how people differ from each other, personality differences, why some people, you know, for example, are extroverted and other people aren't. Um, that's kind of an overview of, of the kinds of things I study, I guess. But my main focus is emotions. Um, and uh, so emotions, you know, the feelings we experience that motivate us to do all kinds of things we do every day. And uh, the emotions that I'm most interested in and have spent most time studying are what we call the self-conscious emotions. And these are the emotions that we feel when we think about who we are and how we feel about ourselves. And the most typical ones are shame and guilt and, of course, pride. Oh, man, so many things there. Because I am a uh, not just like an emotion junkie, but I'm, I'm, I'm rather volatile. Like I think I, and my listeners know this, right? Like I've had anxiety, I've had panic attacks, but really want to hone my like inner dojo. And so when I meet people that study this for a living, I, I want to know the secret. So what I'm going to ask you early on 
is how do we become just the most happy, the most content with <laughs> ourselves people on the planet? A very simple question. <laughs> that's, I'm not sure if that's such a simple question. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think that what my research addresses is, um, I guess, I guess the aspect of that I would say that my research addresses is how we can use at least this one emotion, pride, to become the best kind of people we want to be. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take your question and make it a little more narrow. Yeah, no, um, it was a bad question. I know that <laughs> I'm totally fine with bad questions if they okay. get me somewhere good. So let's keep okay, going. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think one thing is, you know, emotions are part of who we are. They're in our nature. We evolved to experience them and they're adaptive. They do things for us that are incredibly useful. And so I think, you know, while, at times they get out of hand. You know, we might not want to experience certain emotions at certain times. Like you mentioned panic attacks and volatility and anxiety and all that stuff can be incredibly troubling. I do think it's useful to remember that they come from a quote unquote good place, right? We, we have them for a reason. They're not just there to mess with us. They're there to actually help us survive and reproduce and accomplish things in the world. Um, and this is absolutely true of pride. Uh, and I think pride is an interesting example in this case because a lot of people assume that pride uh, can be really problematic, that we shouldn't experience pride, that that means we're a bad person, we're egotistical, we're arrogant, you know, we only care about ourselves. And what we found in, in, in my research is that there are two different kinds of pride. And there is a pride that's like that. We call it hubristic pride. And that pride is all about being arrogant, egotistical, and conceited. And, and I think there are some problems with experiencing that kind of pride, which we can talk about uh, at some point, but there is this other kind of pride, which we call authentic pride. And that kind of pride is actually really good for us. It's really useful because that's the pride that makes us want to be good people, right? That's the, that's the, really the reason that we care about how we see ourselves, how others see us. Um, and, and so as a result of caring so much about that, we strive really hard to become a certain kind of person. And sometimes that means working really hard to achieve great things. Other times it means being a good person in our relationships, right? Being a good parent, being a good relationship partner. The reason that we want to do all those things is because we want to feel good about ourselves. And that's really what authentic pride is. Wow. Such a great place to go because now I, I got to ask, and this, this really gets to the heart of a lot of, I think sometimes my unease is how do we know if pride is driving us in the right direction? Because I could, for example, work. I could want to be seen as someone who has a lot of money and I want to to have the pride of supporting a family. So I go and I take the job that pays twice as much that I'm half as excited about. And Ooh. that actually takes me down in an emotionally uh, less fulfilling life. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And I think these are the kinds of decisions people have to make every day, right? And it's not just going to be about pride. There's always going to be other factors. You know, I think many people are in a situation where they don't have the benefit of being able to choose, right? I mean, if you're in a situation where your family really needs money, you might not have the luxury of saying, well, I'm going to take this job that pays me less, but is more fulfilling to my sense of self, right? You might have to say, you know what, right now, the most important part of my sense of self that I need to fill is myself as a family person, right? As, as someone who provides for my family. And that means taking the job that might be less enjoyable for me, but is going to let me do that, right? And I think there's other times in our lives where many, many people say, you know what, maybe my family's doing okay. Maybe they're going to be provided for and, and that'll be fine. And maybe we can live in a little bit of a less nice house or the kids can, you know, they don't have to go to private school, whatever the decision is. And then I can find the job or take the job that actually fulfills 
my ideal sense of who I am, you know, that lets me become the kind of person I want to be. But these are really hard decisions, you know, because we all have multiple selves, multiple aspects of our identity. And there's who we are at work. There's who we are at home in terms of our family. There's who we are with our hobbies and our, you know, other activities. A lot of people might find, well, the job that I have allows me to be the kind of family person that I want to be because it lets me provide for my family in one way or another, whether it's making money or having time off to be with the family. But it doesn't really fulfill my sense of self. You know, maybe you're working at a desk job and you've always seen yourself as an artist in one way or another and your job doesn't allow you to achieve that aspect of yourself. Well, maybe the solution then is finding a way to fulfill that aspect of yourself outside of work. Right? Maybe you can take a photography class on the weekends, for example, or find ways of basically doing what you need to do to become that kind of self while still meeting your other goals. But, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. Uh, no, it's not easy. But I think what you're alluding to is the fact that you can take, you know, this emotion, I guess. Is that what we're, we're going to call pride? What yeah. is, I mean, what, you're the one that studied it for so long. How do you even say, because we look at it as a, a deadly sin, essentially, right? Uh, right. But what is it? Well, pride is it's it is an emotion, and it's really two different things, as I was mentioning. So what we find is that um, we've done this in, in different kinds of studies. Sometimes we ask people to talk about what they think pride is and tell us kind of words that come to mind when they think of pride. Other times we ask people actually to experience pride. So we say to people, you know, tell us about a time when you felt really proud of yourself. And this is a really neat task you can use to elicit almost any emotion. If you just ask people to remember an emotional event and then describe it or think about it in really great detail, what happens is they end up kind of putting themselves back in that place and they actually can re-experience the emotion. And so when we do this with pride and then ask people to report the kinds of feelings that they're experiencing, we get two very different sets of feelings. And the same thing happens when we ask people to, to think about the words that come to mind when they think about pride. We get two very different sets of words. And we use various statistical analyses that tell us that, in fact, these are two different things. And one of them, one set of words is, is things like, you know, arrogant, egotistical, conceited, pretentious, all the stuff that goes with the deadly sin conceptualization. And then the other set are things like achievement, productive, accomplished, self-worth, confident, Right? And this is a very different set of words. And what we find is that when people experience one versus the other, they, we, we see different outcomes. So when people feel hubristic pride, the, the bad kind of pride, they tend to uh, report feeling aggressive, uh, disagreeable. They tend to show low empathy for others. They don't really care about others and will even sort of take advantage of others to get what they want. In contrast, when people feel authentic pride, they really show a lot of care for others. They're more empathic toward people who are different from them. And people who tend to feel authentic pride in general have this really kind of nice, outgoing, agreeable, empathic personality where these are people who want to get things done. They want to accomplish a lot, but not at the expense of others. They care for others and are humble about their pride at the same time as they're feeling good about themselves. It's one of the reasons I really was excited to have you on the show because as I mentioned, I think prior to recording, I, before learning about your research and, and reading through your book, you know, didn't see myself as prideful, but prideful in the sense of, uh, again, the, the, I think negative portion, which oftentimes mm. gets too much focus, but what yeah. you really, what you, I, you know, and I don't want to speak for you. So fill in the gaps, but you know, what you're talking about is utilizing this emotion of pride to create good and then showing how others have done so and almost rewriting what it means to be prideful in the 21st century, you know, because, <sighs> because, and when I say that it's, you know, in this knowledge worker age or in this business or creativity, of course, 
you can think pride on the battlefield, but mm-hmm. now how does it move us forward in a positive manner and then being aware of the negative side? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's true. And, you know, I think both sides have always existed. Um, you know, I think we we evolved to experience this emotion. It's part of our nature. Humans all over the world experience it. And I think it comes from, you know, dominance that we saw in, in our non-human uh, primate ancestors. We see like precursors of pride and dominance displays. But in humans, it is much more complicated. It isn't just this thing of I'm bigger and better than you. That's sort of close to what hubristic pride is. But even that is more complicated. But certainly authentic pride. I don't think there's any evidence that other animals experience this kind of pride that really is this unique to human uh, sort of emotion that's all about focusing on the hard work that we need to do in order to achieve particular goals that are important for the kind of person we want to be. How much do you think goes into creating the type of pride that you want to have? Like, do you, have you done studies or do you have recommendations or tools to sit down and say, you know, like we do a lot of values assessments. And then Mm -hmm. if you know what you value, you can take that value, turn it into authentic pride and take action. Is there anything there that you work on or I haven't done that but I think that's a great idea Hmm. you know I I really I like that as an idea as sort of a way to figure out what is it that gives you pride in your life what kind of person do you want to be how are you going to get there let's sit down and think about it right write about what are your values what kind of person do you want to be what's most important to you about who you are and I absolutely think you know it's really important to include things beyond just what we would call the work domain right I mean we all want to achieve at work or at least most of us do or school but we also want to achieve, although achieve is kind of a funny word to use, uh, in our relationships, right? We, we want to be a good partner. We want to be a good parent. We want to be a good friend. And the reason that we want to do all those things is because that's part of what it means to be a good person. And that's how we feel proud of ourselves. So, you know, I absolutely think that those kinds of values are, are relevant to all this. And they are something that we take pride into. So what made you look into pride in the first place? I mean, you had seven deadly sins to choose from. <laughs> and who knows how many emotions? Right, right. Well, you know, so when I uh, started grad school um, in the 90s, or the late 90s, um, emotions were a really big thing. They were kind of a hot topic in psychology. And it was something I was always interested in, mainly because I sort of like studying basic level processes. My feelings always been, you know, um, before we can understand something like how relationships work or how people make complicated decisions, we need to know the very basic level mental stuff going on inside their heads that's shaping all that. And, and that's really where emotions come in. I mean, they're so important to almost every decision that we make and almost everything we do. Um, and so when I went to grad school, my graduate advisor, Rick Robbins, his specialty and, and area of expertise was the self. And so he had done a lot of research on self-esteem and narcissism and how people get self-esteem and that sort of thing. And so we realized, okay, well, the intersection of self and emotion is these self-conscious emotions, these emotions that really are all about our sense of self. And while there had been a lot of research on shame and guilt, and, and he and I ended up doing some research on shame and guilt as well, there had been almost nothing on pride. It was really this kind of totally unexplored topic for the most part. Um, and whenever you find that, you know, as a researcher, you're sort of like, wow, well, either it's unexplored because there's nothing there, or somehow due to various historical forces, it's been neglected. And it turned out it's, it's the latter because as soon as we started doing research, you know, we found all these neat things. Like, for example, there's this nonverbal behavioral display that's associated with pride. And people all over the world recognize it the same way. So we went to Burkina Faso, uh, West Africa, and showed people there who lived in these tribal villages, you know, totally cut off from the Western world. They couldn't read or write. They spoke only their local dialect. You know, these are people who really have no access to Western culture and so no way of learning about pride from any kind of Western influence. And yet when we showed them photos of people displaying pride, 
just like Americans, they say, yeah, that's, that's a pride expression. Mm. And so that's really important because it tells us this is something universal. That's fascinating. I never thought about that in, in one of, I do some corporate training on, on different things. One of them is pre presentation skills, how to present, how to speak. And we mm. talk, we talk about specifically seven, uh, work, you know, rec seven recognized emotions throughout the world that, you know, you see a face and right. this is what it is. Um, yeah. And to think of pride in that manner, again, it's why it's it's so uh, grabbing is because I don't think it, it gets that same attention. It, yeah, it's, no, it's, you're right. And I think for me personally, it's because it's always been too, I don't know if broad is the word or just uh, it, it sits under so much like motivation. Okay, got it. But what created that motivation, a pride, a self-esteem or a goal based on, you know, your pride, yeah. that's different. Yeah, no, and, and that's always been the part that's kind of interested me the most. But really, it's just understanding things at different levels. You know, I, I was giving a talk on some of this stuff recently. And um, in my book, I talk a little bit about Angela Duckworth's research on grit. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that. But oh, yeah. yeah, so she's done really great work showing she can predict which people out of a group of very successful people are going to be the most successful in the long run. That's because those people have what she calls grit, which really just means, you know, a willingness and desire to work hard, even when the work is really kind of boring, tedious, even painful, basically to sacrifice other goals, other needs, you know, the need for enjoyment, pleasure, chilling out in favor of getting the work done that you need to get done in order to accomplish great things. And I think that work is amazing, but it's interesting because, you know, from my perspective, it's like, well, she didn't really look at what drives people to do that, you know, which again, no fault to her. I think everyone tackles their own piece of the pie basically. Right. But I was giving this talk and someone said, you know, this is, this is really cool because, you know, Duckworth assumes, well, some people have grit and some people don't and let's figure out how we can make everyone have grit. But what's the basic motivation that gets gritty people to do what they do, right? What is it that, that mm. drives them to do that? And, and one of the big points of my book is that we don't just do things because they, we know they're good for us, right? That's not, knowledge isn't enough to kind of motivate behavior. Emotions are actually what motivate behavior. We do things because we feel something or we want to feel something. And you know what I argue is in the case of people who have grit, what we want to feel or what they want to feel is pride. They want to feel good about themselves. And it's that desire to get that feeling that actually allows them to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that's really hard and uncomfortable and boring, e even though there's something that would give me immediate pleasure instead that I could do instead, I could just sit on the couch and watch TV. I'm going to pass that up and do this much harder thing because what I want to feel and what I know I will feel if I do it is going to be much greater in the long run than what I'm currently experiencing or what I would experience if I went for pleasure right now. Wow. It's like one of those tattoo a quote moments. We do things because of how it will make us feel. No. What, what was it? I don't want to tattoo the wrong quote. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one, but, but yes, I agree. <laughs> how we, how we think it'll make us feel or, or how it makes us right. feel. I, I really enjoy that. So there's a number of case studies you give. And I think that those are a good way of making this idea of pride sink in. What are, do you have a favorite story or a favorite thing you studied throughout this that epitomizes pride and perhaps the, the good, you know, uh, authentic and perhaps the hubris, hubristic? Well, I can tell you a study that I think is a neat example of a lot of this stuff. And then I'll give you a, a case, a case study version of it that I think illustrates it nicely. So we did this research 
to figure out what motivates students to do well on their exams. And in particular, we wanted to know what leads to improvement over time. And so we had we used a longitudinal method, which basically just means we study the same group of people repeatedly over time. We had a class of students, and we looked at how they did on their first exam. And then we wanted to see how their feelings about that affected how they would do on their next exam. And so all we did was we looked at their performance. We asked them, you know, how do you feel about it? Do you feel pride in, in how you did? And then a few weeks later, we went back to them and said, okay, are you going to study similarly for the next exam or are you going to do something different? And then we looked at their performance on that next exam. And what we expected was that people who would, did well on that first exam would feel a lot of pride in their performance, right? And then would say, yeah, I'm going to study even harder for my next exam because pride's so motivational. I want to get those feelings again and then do even better on the next exam. And that's not what we found, okay? Because what turns out to be the case is that people who do well on an exam – these are people who are always just studying hard. They know how to study the right way. They studied hard for that first exam and did well. They felt pride. And then they said, yeah, I'm going to study the same way for the next exam because it worked. And so they studied the same way. They don't change their behavior. And it works again. So, yes, they feel pride. But for these people who are already kind of performing at a high level, they don't need the pride to be motivational. They're kind of already there. What was interesting, though, what was really exciting for us was that the people who did poorly on that first exam, many of them told us, I don't feel pride in my, in my performance. I, I kind of, you know, it's not even that I feel badly about myself, but I'm missing that feeling of pride, right? They actually, you know, that's what they said. They're not getting those pride feelings. And that absence, that lack of pride, actually directly motivated them to say, I'm going to study differently on the next exam, to change their behaviors. And then in turn, that led to a better performance on the next exam. And using various statistical analyses, we could trace their improved performance on that next exam directly back to that lack of pride uh, in, that they felt from the first exam. So, you know, that's sort of a long way of saying that it's actually often when we're aware of missing pride, that we're not having these feelings that we want to feel about ourselves, that's what leads us to change our behavior in a way that's important and good and, and useful for the kind of person we want to be. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the more illustrative or, I guess, case study example of that that I, I give in the book is the story of Dean Karnazes who is this ultramarathon runner. He's one of the most famous ultramarathoners in the world. And ultramarathon just means any race that's longer than 26 miles. And he runs all kinds of incredible races, hundreds and hundreds of miles at a time. It's really amazing. But what's neat about his story is that he only started running like that when he was 30, which is relatively late for an athlete, right? Most athletes start pretty young in life. Um, but he sort of, you know, was having a very typical life. You know, he went to grad school. He was a businessman. He was doing well in his career. He was married. And in all, by all accounts, succeeding and woke up on his 30th birthday realizing that something was missing, right? He wasn't getting this sense of pride, this sense of fulfillment in who he was. He just wasn't experiencing it from his business life for whatever reason. And he realized that for him, the things that had always made him feel really good about himself, that had made him feel you know, as good as he possibly could throughout his life were times when he'd done something just incredibly physically punishing, you know, so he'd race track in, in high school and had a couple of races that were really intense. And um, he recalls this time where he biked from his parents' house in Los Angeles to his grandparents' house in Pasadena when he was only 10 years old and, and didn't really know where to go. So examples like that, which were just the moments, critical moments in his life that made him feel really good about himself. And he realized at 30, he needed to find a way to do that again. And so on the night of his 30th birthday, he kind of has this epiphany and just starts running and ends up running from his house in San Francisco about 30 miles south to Half Moon Bay. Um, and, you know, he hasn't run, meanwhile, in 20 years or so, something, or something, 10 years, something like that. And so 
he's in horrible shape. He finds he can't walk after, but he realizes that all of a sudden this is the meaning that his life has been lacking. And I think what made him realize it was this recognition that he wasn't getting the pride in himself that we all need, that we all really evolved to need. And so I think that's a neat way of how this can all work is sometimes it's not the pride we feel that makes us change our behavior or do something. It's the pride that we want to feel that we're not feeling. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. Did you know that research suggests up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut? The people at Young Health do, which is why they've developed ProbeImmune, a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. ProbeImmune's industry-leading fermentation process ensures the largest number of good bacteria are delivered alive in the gut. After all, it's not about how many billions of bacteria are in a probiotic, it's about how many survive the digestive process. Probimune is easy to use, easy to travel with, doesn't require refrigeration, and it's great for the whole family. Right now, our listeners can get the exclusive offer of 50% off your first order of Probimune, a 30-day supply that's normally $34.95 for just $17.48 plus shipping and handling. All you have to do is go to www.probimmune.com. That's www.probimune.com and use the promo code SMART at checkout to receive 50% off your first order of Probimune. That's www.probimune.com, P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com and use promo code SMART to get 50% off today. And now back to the episode. Wow. And thank you for that. Because that, that is where, you know, where I was looking for the growth is this idea of you can understand it to a point, but how does that understanding modify your, not just your actions, but your, your plans and your goals? And, yeah. uh, and, and I think that's one of the areas you touch on so much here in your book, especially like, let's look at the two types of, of pride. You have the authentic and the hubristic. Do you think everyone, or in your research, does everyone have both sides? Yes, everyone. I mean, we all have the capacity for both kinds of prides, absolutely. I think they're both part of our human nature. Now, whether everyone always experiences both, no, that's a very different question. And, and there are big mm. individual differences in the tendency to experience each. So there are some people who feel a lot of authentic pride, some people who feel a lot of hubristic pride, some people who feel a lot of both, some people who feel neither. So, you know, all these things vary basically. And, and I think we all know, you know, we all know people in our lives who kind of embody hubristic pride, right? The person who thinks they're better than everyone else, a bit arrogant, assertive, likes to take control of every situation. We all know people like this. And, and there's good reason that hubristic pride is adaptive as well, just like authentic pride. You know, in the case of hubristic pride, it's not that it makes us do things that make us like ourselves or, or become a better person, it's that it helps us take control, right? So it basically is a way of getting dominance over others. People who feel hubristic pride essentially enact the kinds of behaviors that allow them to get power. Um, dominance is a way of getting power. And, and it's a kind of power that doesn't make you well-liked, right? People don't look up to you when you're dominant because they respect you and, and want to follow you, but people are afraid of you. Dominance basically wield control in this way that's manipulative and aggressive and fear-inducing. And followers, for whatever reason, often are intimidated and so choose to defer to the dominant rather than risk whatever whatever is at, at stake here by the threats, basically. Right. And I'm glad you went there because 
One of the things it brought up for me, have you ever read or heard of the book, The Psychopath Test? I'm not sure. It's it's essentially, and I'm sure you've at least heard of the idea, but that a lot of, or or maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but a statistically higher amount of CEOs in, in large companies uh, have psychopathic tendencies, okay? Huh, and the okay. idea uh-huh. being because what gets them there is this crush all in our way mentality. And it just made me think of, I wonder if there's a link there in, in that, uh, do you find or have you t- have you looked at um, pride, specifically hubristic pride, uh, displayed more in leaders? Uh, is it is it a, an effective way of leading, or do you have you tend to see that you know people at the end of the day, although they'll follow more of that hubristic pride, they will uh, I don't know be more successful when led by somebody who has authentic pride. Yes, that's a great question. So we've done we've done these studies, and and what we found is that there are two different kinds of leadership, and they're very distinct. So on the one hand, we have dominance, what I was just describing, where it's all about leading by intimidation and threat, guided by hubristic pride. On the other hand, we have what's called prestige, and prestige is a kind of leadership that's based on actual accomplishments. So these are people who have something of value to contribute to the group, typically something that, you know, the group likes, they're good at, um, whether it's they're smart or they have a particular skill. You know, in, in ancient hunter-gatherer societies, it might be that they were a really good hunter or gatherer. These people have this ability and they're nice. They care about others and they want to help others learn from them, learn whatever their skill is. And that's really important because the way that prestigious people get power is by basically displaying their skills to others in such a way that others choose to follow them because they think, wow, if I follow this guy, if I give him power, I can learn from him. I can get his abilities. I can get his skills and then have them for myself, right? And so both both ways are sort of ways of getting power. You can see on the one hand, it's, well, you're getting power because you're telling followers, if you don't give me power, I will hurt you in one way or another. I'll take away your wealth or I'll, you know, I'll physically hurt you. And the other way, it's, well, give me power because then you're going to benefit. You're going you're gonna to learn from me. Two very different ways. Both are effective, we found. We've brought groups of undergrads together and, and kind of put them in a situation where they have to do a task, and we watch how they do it and who comes out as the leader. We get everyone to rate how influential everyone else is. And what we find is that the people who use dominance end up with just as much power, just as much influence over the group as the people who use prestige. So mm-hmm. both of these tactics are actually effective in terms of getting power, but only one way actually makes you well-liked. Right? We don't like the people who use dominance. We're afraid of them. Right? We, we give them power because we feel we have no choice, but we never come to like them. In contrast, prestigious people we really like, and we like working with them. We think they're a good leader. You know, they're, they're basically someone that we, we care about, and we're happy to follow them. And then, so the worker experience is much better working under a prestigious person. I mean, really uncovering a lot of this stuff in the sense of how it relates to pride, which I think is, again, one of the the marvelous things that you have done i mean this idea of pride and 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 kind of putting it under a new lens have you then gone on to discuss or learn how do we almost hack the system like how do we use this to not just our advantage in the way of getting more of what we want although that's part of the question but also of being more of who we want to be of of understanding ourselves through this emotion and becoming uh, potentially a, you know, not just a more liked individual, but a more emotionally well-rounded or content individual. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, <laughs> um, and pride hopefully. is only one piece of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say pride is everything, and it's all we should shoot for. Sure. And, you know, I think ha- happiness is important too, and and there are negative emotions that serve important functions also. Um, but you know, I, I do think pride can be useful in terms of, like I was saying, figuring out who you want to be and then how to get there. I think that's where authentic pride is is really helpful. Sort of thinking, okay, you know, for people like Dean Karnazes who aren't getting authentic pride in their lives realizing that and saying, you know what, I'm surviving, I'm getting by, I have a job that pays me well, whatever it is, but something is missing. This isn't the kind of person that I want to be. Listening to that, you know, little voice inside your head that tells you that and saying, okay, well then what do I need to do to become that person? And it might be something dramatic like Dean Karnazes actually switching your entire career and becoming an ultra marathon runner. Or it might be something much, much less dramatic and, and more like, you know what, I'm missing feeling like I'm giving back to my community. So maybe I can take the weekends and coach a soccer team, you know, or maybe I can, you know, go work in a soup kitchen or whatever it is that you feel that you're missing to become the kind of person you want to be. Finding ways of doing that, I think, is is a really good way of trying to secure those feelings of pride. And I know you might not have had as much of a say in the the book title as your publishers <laughs> or whatnot, but uh, that way, yeah. but but is that kind of where this idea of take pride comes from? It's like take pride, take authentic pride in your decisions. And if you find that you are not, then that is a good way to to realize perhaps it's not the right decision, choice, action, et cetera. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely it. I think it's both that message and the message that, you know, pride has been seen as a deadly sin for so long. It's almost really controversial to say, yeah, pride's okay. We, sh- we should take pride. I mean, if you think about, you know, how often do you hear someone say, I'm proud of myself? It's, it's an awkward thing to say. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable, right? You could say yeah. you're proud of your kids, but I'm proud of myself. It feels, it feels weird, you know? And so, and the message is sort of to say, well, yes, that's because we lump together the bad side and the good side. And yeah, you should feel weird about saying, I'm proud of myself when what you mean is hubristic pride. And the fact is maybe saying I'm proud of our, myself is so counter-normative that people who say it are feeling hubristic pride. Maybe that is a sign of hubristic pride. So maybe you shouldn't say it because <laughs> that's what the, you know it suggests. But the real message here is there are two different things. And one of them is okay to feel. And in, in fact, even good for us to feel. And I think it's good for us as individuals and good for us as a society and, and for our species. Speaking of how pride is is so ingrained in us as a species, I can't help but to bring this topic up of uh, politicians, politics, especially right now. I mean, the amount of, uh, yeah, hubristic pride. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, there just isn't. I don't care who you are. You might like that in a leader, but that's going on right now in one particular (laughs) presidential candidate. I can't imagine who you mean. <laughs> I mean, people listening to the show know my political stance. So it, it is what it is now, you know, whatever. But um, have you looked at that at all? Like, I mean, it's got to be a field day. You watch, say, the debates and you see finger wagging yeah. and screaming and just go, yeah. the pride is jumping off the page or screaming. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. And and it's a funny thing because I've been writing this book, you know, you know how books work. You publish a book in 2016, that means you started it at least in 2013, which is the case for me. Right. Um, so right. I was going to say in 2000. At, yeah, exactly, right. Um, so I've been working on this for a while and I've used Donald Trump as an example of hubristic pride for a long time, long before he was anywhere near politics, really? right? Really? 
Yeah, I mean, he's been a public figure forever, wow. uh, and at least in my lifetime, mm-hmm. and he's always exuded hubristic pride. He's always just been a fantastic example of someone who is very willing to say things that to most of us seem, wow, that's really counter-normative. That's not okay. You're not supposed to talk about how great you are all the time in that explicit way. You know, mm-hmm. there's other ways of getting the point across, um, and people vary in how effective they are at this, but he's just done it so blatantly, and yet he's really benefited from it, right? People see him as hubristic. People see him as arrogant. People see him as narcissistic. People laugh at him and make fun of him for it, but he still gets ahead, right? And I think it's a great example of of how hubristic pride can lead to power, which dominance is really the kind of power it is. And now that he is a politician, now that he is a leader, he's a great example of a dominant leader, right? I mean, I think a large part of why he won the the Republican primary was because he intimidated people. Anyone Mm -hmm. who was going to criticize him or attack him, whether it was his competitors or other Republican politicians or activists, he made it clear, look, if you come after me, I will come after you much harder, right? Right. He's still doing it. I mean, just the other night, he was attacking this former Miss America um, winner, right? Who he thought was out to get him. And so it's, that's the dominant strategy, right? To say, I'm going to scare you into not coming after me, into into doing what I say, basically. I hadn't thought of this, but right, you have hubristic pride. Trump, he's, he's, you know, just exudes that. Do you think because he has so much of it and because he's so willing to say, you know, I'm great because I've built great things. I do these things great. People are starting. I mean, I've heard this. I'm sure you have. They say he's so comfortable with saying that, that it is authentic. Like, is that possible to cross the divide, to be so hubristic that that's just who you are? Now, I'm not I'm not going to go into what that says as an individual, but is that even possible? What I would say is hubristic pride, I think, is always kind of underlined by some sort of defensiveness. That Mm -hmm. is, there's always some kind of underlying insecurity or shame that's driving it. And the reason I say that is because. It's a grandiose sense of self, right? People who have hubristic pride, it's not just that they say, you know what, I'm really accomplished and I'm going to acknowledge it. That's different. That could be authentic pride. The Nobel Prize winner who, who sort of says, you know what, I, I did some pretty great science. I don't think that's hubristic, right? Hubristic is when you're taking your accomplishments and exaggerating them. And, and I think Donald Trump is a good example of this. You know, I could point to many examples of how what he talks about isn't just his actual accomplishments, but things that are well beyond what he's actually accomplished. That's hubristic. And, you know, the only reason that people would do that, that people feel the need to constantly base their, their sense of self-worth off something that's not real, right? Not a realistic appraisal of themselves, but rather this aggrandized sort of grandiose sense of self is because they're so afraid of these underlying feelings, right? This, this shame, this I'm not good enough kind of sense. And yeah. I could speculate as to why Donald might have that. But I think, you know, there's evidence of this in, in studies that people who show this kind of hubristic pride deep down don't feel good about themselves. There's studies that show, for example, if you measure their automatic responses, the kind of responses we can't really control, they tend to respond really quickly if they see a word that's like cockroach, right? A really bad word associated with me, the word me, right? So that sort of says, oh, maybe they have these negative associations with their sense of self. Um, the fact that they get aggressive when people attack them is, an, is another good, good example of this. And there's, there's neat studies that show that narcissists, if they're attacked, if they're criticized, for example, for an essay they write, um, for a study, and this essay has no bearing on their future, it's something they, they write in five minutes, it's not a topic they particularly care about, they're really only doing it to participate in this research for course credit, if they get that essay with feedback from another student that says, here are all the problems in your essay, it's not great, you know, most people I think would say, well, who cares? You know, I did this in five minutes. Of course, it's not great. <laughs> um, 
But narcissists don't respond that way. They get very angry. And if given the chance to aggress outwards against the person who gave them that feedback, they will take it. They will, you know, they'll play a game where they have to blast loud noise to punish this person. They'll blast that noise as loud and hard and often as they can, basically, as a way of saying, look, you know, you don't criticize me. Um, and, and so that defensiveness, it's really hard to explain why people would be like that if there wasn't something that they're defending against, if there wasn't these underlying feelings of insecurity driving it all. Yeah. Wow. And I'll they tell might you. not be aware of that. I think that's important. I don't think everyone, I think Donald Trump is a great example who absolutely, he believes in everything he says about himself. I don't think he's aware of what's going on underneath it. Again, I go back to this idea of authenticity, right? If you truly believe it, then you're being your authentic self. But but I think what you were uncovering there, I hadn't necessarily put my finger on is if you are blinded to something, you can truly believe it. It doesn't mean it it is or it's real or it's yeah. right or it's even who you are. You're just not willing yeah. to do the hard work to get there. That's right. That's right. And I would use the word authentic self to refer to one that we're not deluding ourselves about. Yeah. Right. So you might really believe it. But then it's if it's not really, you know, if there's something else going on in your unconscious, then it's not really authentic. Authentic to me means when you're unconscious lines up with what you explicitly see that's, that's more authentic that's beautiful i love that <laughs> and that makes me i got it now i you know i know we only have a couple minutes left but you mentioned kind of how you got to this idea of pride and and but um the one of the first things you said i hadn't seen it, your social personality what was it what do you <laughs> well some people say social psychologist and some people say personality psychologist they're two different things but my work really lies at the intersection of them so i, I put the two together with a hyphen <laughs> social personality psychologist in this so that's this idea of how we perceive ourselves is that it's both it's you know things like how we perceive ourselves how we perceive others how we perceive and act and behave in the social world, mm. how we are with other people. Do you see, given how fast, how rapidly changing our social environment is, and then, and I don't want to be cliche and talk about social media, but of course that's part of it, but even in comparison to the thousands or tens or hundreds or millions of years of humanity, it's been a, a very recent gap where you could connect with somebody across the world uh, do you think we're, our brains are short circuiting because we just aren't yeah. built to, I mean, to know outside of our tribe? Huh. That's really interesting. I, I don't know if there's short circuiting, but you know, I think, um, it is a challenge that we probably are not evolutionarily equipped for to, to be dealing with people, um, or the communities of people in the magnitude that we now can because of social media. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what the, what the consequences of that are. Yeah. I just was wondering, you know, as again, given, I mean, you, you have an interest in the emotions and, and, you know, social personality and how we perceive each other, where you see, or, or how do you see it, uh, moving or trending given your research and given the, just the past, you know, 15, 20 years, I mean, do you see any just, wow, this is what's really surprising me or interesting or anything like that? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right that social media is absolutely changing how these things play out. Um, I think, you know, hubristic pride is a good example of this because, you know, in in the past, the way that a person who has high hubristic pride might kind of enact that would be to just brag to their friends, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to, they have a, you know, imagine a hunter gatherer, a hunter has a big kill. He goes back and, and tells everyone. And by the way, he would never, most, most hunter-gatherer societies, you wouldn't see that because there are all kinds of social norms against bragging in those societies and as a way of dealing with kind of status differences. But, but that would be a way of enacting one's hubristic pride. 
Um, everyone would think he's a jerk in that community and, and that would kind of be the end of it. Maybe they'd kill him. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but now, you know, now we have all these other options. We can advertise our successes much more widely through Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any kind of social media that we use. Um, and the norms change as well. You know, I mean, there are different norms for when and how it's okay to talk about your accomplishments and they vary from culture to culture and society to society. I think they vary from social media platform to social media platform. You know, I think the norms in Facebook are very different than the norms in Twitter. And, you know, I think that goes for every, every various uh, media outlet. And so I think one, one challenge for people who use these things is to figure out what the norms are and how you can use them as a way of connecting with others and maybe celebrating your own successes, but without kind of falling into that hubris trap. And, and, and the, how that happens is, like I said, going to vary from culture to culture and platform to platform. So it's, it's very complicated and tricky. Yeah. It's like, stay humble, but stay hungry. Uh, you know, I heard That's that right. somewhere. Yeah. I, I think that really can keep you on the right track. Well, Dr. Jessica Tracy, I want to use your full, you know, full title. <laughs> You've earned that doctor. You. Uh, <laughs> you know, the book again, take pride. Why the deadliest sin holds the secret to human success. We've covered a lot of it, but, um, you know, a lot today, but just a sliver of what's in there. So I, I highly recommend it. Brand new book, some great studies and just great stories in there um, about a topic that I think you're opening a lot of our eyes to. Well, again, Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it's oh, been a, a real pleasure, and I'm excited to share this with our audience. Oh, cool. Good. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks again. Thanks, and uh, keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to whatever comes next from you. You can't stop <laughs> okay, now. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> cool. Right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. Take care. Bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Jessica Tracy. Her book, Take Pride, Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success, can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. Don't forget, if you're going to purchase the book or anything else for that matter through Amazon, please use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through that link helps out the show as we get a nice little kickback from Amazon at no cost to you. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating, review, and comment over there. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can reach us via email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. All right, that's it for us this week. As always, you can keep up with all things Smart People Podcast and sign up for the newsletter over at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Please stay tuned. We've got some great guests coming up, and we will see you all next episode.